Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Well, I hope you recognize that we're, we, we want to make much of Jesus and very little about ourselves. And so uh, thank you for worshiping today. Thank you for recognizing that um, that even you are not the center of the day. We plan today all around the glory of God. But even in the midst of that, what I want you to know is that God has you on his mind. He really does. His glory is best known and best displayed through his people. And you are his people. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to strengthen you through God's Word, and I want you to leave this place ready to face whatever it is that comes your way and wherever it is that God sends you. Um, One of the cool things about the way God works is He uses His people as His mouthpiece. The Bible tells us that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. You did that this week. This week, we had a dental bus right out in front of the church. We saw 58 patients. That was over almost $25,000 worth of free dental care, free to the patients, but costly to us because many in this room volunteered hours that they could have been spent doing something else. And because you gave of yourself and uh, because you chose to make a trade, You literally, you traded your time and you traded your money so that somebody could be alleviated from physical pain and hopefully in the process see the light of Jesus in you. Uh, I see one of our dentists right back here and I am just absolutely thrilled. You are the dentist, right? Nope? Okay, I thought so. I was, well you looked at me and I thought, wait a minute, maybe I got, okay. Just, but just one of many, many, many. But here, here's one cool story. So we had, we had somebody come in on Monday who had been dealing with a rotten tooth, an infected tooth, for three days. Imagine being in excruciating pain from a rotten tooth for three days. No medicine, nothing to take away the pain. He was, when, he, when he came here, of course, pain makes you kind of on edge, right? I mean, I know it does me. He came here, uh, understandably, not in a very good mood because of the pain. Well, he came back at the end of the week for something else, and his countenance was different. He, he was excited about the fact that, that the pain was gone and just all of those things. If it was just that one patient that you made a difference in, it would have been worth it. But there were 57 more that you made a difference. One of them is a missionary son who they're on their way to Kyrgyzstan in less than a month. And without this dental work, it would have been a very, very difficult traveling uh, trip and it would also have been a very, very difficult thing to go there and then have to try to have the dental work. Do you hear what I'm saying? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But that's only one small thing. See, this past week actually went off with pretty much out of hitch. I mean, it was, it was for, all in, uh, in, in, for, for all basic purposes, nothing was really a problem. I mean, everything pretty much ran as expected, as smoothly. But do you know, and I know you know, that, that in life, things don't always go that way. 
in life, there are things that just get twisted and chaotic and broken. And sometimes they get so difficult that we even say to ourselves, can I continue? Can I keep moving forward? Can I keep this up? Sometimes the pressure is so great that we sometimes just want to say to God, God, I'm done. I can't take this anymore. But what we have is a testimony of faithful men and women throughout history, beginning in God's Word and moving into the pages of history that we can look at their lives and see that God has been faithful to them and God will be faithful to us. Now, I know most of your stories. If I know you personally, which most of you in the room I do, I know that most of you have a story. And most of you have a story that includes pain. And most of you have a story that includes brokenness and failure and, and all those other things that the, for the average person, we would want to say, let's hide that, let's bury it, let's never let anybody see it, let's not, let's not, let's not think about it again. But what I know about you is that that pain, God has turned into a marvelous testimony of His own grace. And He is using it, He has used it, and He will use it now and in the future so that God can testify through your life of who He is. Now, I'm not saying that any of us should hope for these things to happen to us. I mean, I'm not dumb, right? Well, maybe you could argue that, but I'm not. I mean, nobody would say, Lord, please, please let me deal with hardship. No, that's not what we do. But we understand, Lord, I know that life is tough. And so because life is tough, I'm going to trust that you have a purpose in the pain. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul tells us this very thing. In Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, this is what Paul speaks of to the Philippian church. Now, he's writing to the believers in Philippi, and I'm not quite sure if Paul knew that this letter would get out to the rest of the churches. I kind of feel like he did because that's the, what, what they did with letters to the churches. I'm not sure he understood, though, that 2,000 years later, we would be sitting here in Gulf Breeze, Florida, and we would be reading this letter, and we would be motivated and encouraged because of what he wrote then. But nevertheless, that's where we are. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been uh, encouraged to speak the word of Christ courageously and fearlessly. So Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now when he says that, now I want you to know, brothers, that phrasing is a way of him saying, okay, listen up, right? So if you're, if you're a, 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 on a baseball team and you're going to huddle up, you say, all right, come on in. All right, guys, here's the deal, right? That's what we would say. Or here's what we need to do. It, it's that, that urgency of what's about to come after the, that huddling up. So Paul is huddling the church together and he's saying, okay, now listen up. I know some of you are 
confused as to why I am in chains. I know some of you maybe are a little anxious that I'm in chains. I know some of you are wondering why I'm in chains. But I want to tell you why. See, the Philippian church was concerned because of the chains of Paul, but Paul had a complete joy in it. There was a, there was a unique joy in the midst of suffering. There was a peace and there was a, a, a calmness of his soul. We know this because of how he writes. He said, look, I want you to know that these chains, don't worry about the chains. In fact, don't even pray against the chains because these chains are serving to advance the gospel. Now that word advance, you might have a translation of the Bible that, that has the word progress. So to progress the gospel or progress of the gospel. Here's what that means. It's a word that, 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 that carries with it the picture of, a, of an army that needs to move through into an unconquered land. But in order to get through the unconquered land, they would have to go through all kinds of obstacles and all kinds of, 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 of vegetation and just this very difficult pathway, right? And so the progress of the gospel, this word progress, literally means an advanced team that is going before the army to clear a path and to make a way so that the army can then come through. Listen, Paul is saying my chains are simply the way that God is clearing a path for the gospel into Rome. Now, Paul's desire was that Rome would be his final ultimate preaching place. We see it all throughout Paul's letters. We know it through his life that he wanted to go to Rome. And in fact, the only reason he was in Rome is because he appealed to Caesar. If you go into the book of Acts, what you'll find is that there were, there were no charges against him that would stick. He basically was innocent of the charges that, the, uh, that, that were being uh, leveled against him. But Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. And, it, and it's almost like them going, oh man, did you have to do that? Why? Because by appealing to Caesar, he had to be bound and sent to Rome. He could have gotten off scot-free. It's like um, I, was, uh, I was in the store the other day. Um, this just popped into my mind. It actually fits, I think. I was in a store the other day to buy, and I, and I saw that they had ammunition. And the sign said, two boxes per customer. So I'm like, sweet. And we happened to be, we were, it was when we were in, in um, Henderson, Kentucky. We were helping Sarah do her, her youth retreat. And so Shannon and I snuck out on a little date while the kids were playing. So we, we went to this gun store that was massive. And they, they had, well, actually, let me just get to the story. So they had, they had ammo. That's the important part. They had 20 boxes of 22 for $1.99 for 50. That's a big deal. Not only could you find it, but it was cheap. So I'm like, I got an idea. I'll just have Shannon buy two boxes and I'll buy two boxes because the sign clearly says two per customer. So I get up to the register and I say, I'll take two of those 22 boxes, please. Shannon, and she wants two boxes as well. And the guy said, are you two in, living in the same house? I go, uh, most of the time. He goes, well, I can't sell them to her then. Only two per customer. So, whoa, I'm a human. She's a human. 
We're two customers. Well, corporate said I can only sell it one, 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 one customer is a family unit. And we went on back and forth through this whole thing. And I'm trying to remember why now I'm telling you this story. Can you help me remember? You can't remember either? No, it wasn't about the ammo. There was a point. Doggone it. I forgot what I was saying. That wasn't it either. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well. Well, it's a good story anyways. Um, oh, yeah, that's what it was. So, okay, now I remember. So, we went, I went back and forth with the guy because I was like, you know what? Just do what your sign says. And then I told him, I said, you know, I could have just lied to you and said, no, we don't live in the same house. And you would have just sold us both what we wanted and we would have been out of here. He literally had three different managers come before they finally decided, just sell it to him. I'm going, really? All I had to do was lie. And I'd have been off, I actually would have been off because it's what the sign said. All Paul had to do was keep his mouth shut. See how we got all the way back, isn't that cool? All he had to do is just be quiet. You find no charges? Okay, I'm gone. But instead, Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. Oh man, now that you did that, we have to send you to Rome. This was important because Paul wanted to go to Rome. It was his ambition in the very beginning of him sharing the gospel the, from the start to go to Rome. Why? Because Rome was the epicenter of the world. Rome controlled everything. And in his ambitious heart, he, if he could go to Rome, he could speak to the ones who were making the rules. He could speak to the leaders and the rulers of the world. And he could impact the entire world if he could preach the gospel to the ones who rule the world. Makes sense, right? I imagine, though, that when Paul started out, he wasn't thinking, I think I'll get myself arrested, and by getting arrested, I'll be sent in chains to Rome. Probably wasn't his plan, but you see, he understood that sometimes to get where God wants us to go, it costs us a, a larger price than we want to pay, and it's also a different road than we think that we're going to take to get there. Now, that's good. Amen? Sometimes you wind up where God is calling you to go by taking an entirely different road than you ever expected to get there, but God has a more perfect plan. I am so thankful that God did not answer all of my prayers. Aren't you? Remember that country song? Sometimes I'll thank God. Remember, you'd be married to somebody else maybe. I almost told a joke there, and I'm just going to refrain. Just imagine that it was funny. We'll move on. But the truth is, you could have married somebody else. Aren't you glad you didn't? And then maybe God did answer your prayer because you wouldn't be quiet about it. And he goes, okay, I'd answered, I answered your prayer. Now you want to start praying differently, right? Not about the wife. That's not what I'm talking about. Just, just to clarify, that's not what I mean there. I'm talking about other things. So Paul says that I want you to know that what has happened has really served to advance the gospel. Just a quick note here. Paul's ambition was God-ordained. Listen to this. His ambition for the gospel was God-ordained. One of the things that I'm rediscovering is that we sometimes squelch ambition because we feel like we cannot have any ambition. It has to be all God. But you know what I'm discovering and have discovered and hopefully will continue to discover? Ambition 
from God is the exact ambition that he gives us to do what it is that he's called us to do. Sometimes we squelch ambition because we think that, well, God's just got to do everything. And sometimes God is saying, look, I put this desire inside of you because I have a purpose for your life and your life's purpose is revealed through that ambition, that dream or, or that seed that I've placed in you. In my own life, I am, I am drawing back into things that God showed me when I was a teenager. And I'm seeing things come about from, from well, how many years was that? 30 years ago. My 30-year reunion is in January or in July. Wow. Do you feel old? I feel old. 30-something years ago, 40 years ago, God had implanted things in my heart that I'm just now see for you guys who are teenagers don't don't despise the things that God speaks to you about now be careful it, sometimes everything we hear is not from God you have to test it and make sure that it really is the Lord speaking here's how you know if it doesn't line up with God's word it is not God God never contradicts his own word ever because if he did he'd be a liar and we couldn't trust him and we should not follow him but if what he plants in your heart lines up with God's word, it may not look like something that he can do or is doing. But I promise you, if God implanted it there, at some point, if you will be faithful to him, he will bring it to fruition in ways that you never even dreamed possible. And I say all that because that is what brings God glory. Do you know that when you operate in your own giftedness and your own and the own and your own calling from God, that is what you got that is how God brings glory to himself through you? Do you know that? That that's not a bad thing. So if you have ambition, Test the ambition up against God's word. Make sure your own heart is yielded to the, to the authority of Christ Jesus. And then let that ambition move according to how God moves it. I hope that made, made sense to you. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So if you go back to Acts, you'll read this story. I believe it's starting uh, somewhere around chapter 17, and it goes all the way to the end of the book of Acts. It's the story of how Paul is put into prison, first in Jerusalem, and then he's put on a ship, and he's sent to Rome, and he spends two years in Jerusalem in prison, and then through this, this traveling on the ship, it's months and months and months because of weather and shipwrecks. It's a really cool story. It's like Robinson Crusoe, only the biblical version of it. And, and there's one particular story where he sticks his hand down into a fire and a serpent bites him and it's a poisonous snake. And everybody's like, ooh, he's cursed from, from the gods. And he goes, eh, nothing. He shakes it off, right? I think that's where Brittany got that song, Shake It Off, right? Um, Taylor, Swift. Taylor Swift. See, I totally messed it up. Okay. Are you singing the song in your head now, though? Then point made. So, so he, he literally shakes it off. And everybody around the fire is, is, is looking at him going, are you going to die? I mean, it's a poisonous stake. And they're like, you're not dying. And that testified to the power of God on Paul's life. So you have all of those stories leading up to the fact that he finally gets to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he's put on house arrest. 
Now their house arrest was a little different than ours. Their house arrest was you had to stay inside the house and you were chained to a soldier 24-7. Today we just get an ankle bracelet. If you go too far out, it beeps, right? The way they did it then, they didn't have the technology, so they chained the soldier, one of the Praetorian Guard, to the prisoner. So 24-7, Paul, for two years, had a soldier chained with an 18-inch chain, a shackle, an 18-inch chain, that's about this big, and then a soldier. Now that soldier would rotate in and out because one guy didn't spend his entire two-year life with the prisoner, they would, they would have shifts somehow, and they would have multiple soldiers come through, and they would transfer the, the prisoner to each other for two years. During those two years, though, what would happen was Paul was calling the religious leaders to his home. He was essentially having home Bible studies all throughout the day. But I want you to see the picture here. Because Paul was imprisoned in house arrest... Because he had to, by law, have a soldier chained to his arm. Not only did the people coming in come and hear the gospel and hear this, this, this conversation about who Jesus is, but every single soldier heard the gospel. And what Paul is saying is, because of these chains, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. In other words, the soldiers are beginning to believe in this message of Jesus. Now, we don't know how many trusted Christ. It, we don't know if any did, but I have a very, very strong suspicion that it was more than one. Why? Because when Paul rose in the morning and then knelt to pray, so he, he, he got up from bed and he knelt to pray. That soldier was like, <clears throat> right? So that soldier's on his knees next to Paul as Paul is praying to the God of heaven. And the soldier is probably at first going, man, how long does this dude pray, right? And probably by the end of the term, I would imagine, I'm just imagining now, this is Spoonie Barger Liberty, right? I'm imagining that the soldier's going, Oh, don't stop. Because every time we get on our knees, I feel this thing that I can't feel anywhere else. It's like this power from on high. It's, it's amazing. When he gets up and then he starts conversing, the gospel being shared. I suspect, again, this is not what the Bible says. This is only my opinion. This is my suspicion. I suspect that the gospel spread like wildfire through Rome partly because these soldiers who were firsthand eyewitnesses to the faith of Paul so believed that they could not help but to speak what they had seen and heard. I think that probably happened. Maybe it didn't, but I think it did. Nevertheless, Paul says that throughout the entire Praetorian Guard, they understood that he was in chains because of the gospel. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So as word got out to the Philippian church, and as word got out to the Ephesian church, and as word got out to the church at Rome, that Paul was in chains and he was faithfully battling for the gospel, the word got out, don't worry about Paul, 
be encouraged. And even in the midst of great suffering and trialing and unfairness and injustice, the gospel is still going forth. And so believers who heard this, their faith was strengthened and they said, yes, I can do this. I must be faithful. You know, Hebrews 11, we find a hall of faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, by faith, what, what we don't realize is Hebrews 11 actually is a never-ending chapter. Hebrews 11 has ended in terms of how the, the Word of God records it, but the, the sense and the spirit of Hebrews 11 has not stopped. Hebrews 11 is being written even this very moment. Because your life, your faith, especially in the midst of great trial and great struggle, your faith is, is reminding unbelievers that the gospel is real. And your faith is reminding believers that they can keep on keeping on. So last week I shared with you the story of William Carey, right? William Carey was, uh, is someone that we know as the father of modern missions. In the late 1700s, early 1800s, he gave his entire life in India. His entire life. His whole purpose was that the heathen might know the gospel. That the heathen, that was the word used for those who were were, were unfamiliar with the gospel. But to get there was quite a chore. If you'll remember, William Carey was a pastor and he had a little church and he was doing just fine, had plenty of people around him just to be, have a nice, comfortable, pretty content life. But while reading through the scriptures, he found the great, what we know as the Great Commission, go into all nations and preach the gospel. And that so convicted him that it was his responsibility and the responsibility of every disciple of Jesus to go to the ends of the earth as far as possible to pre preach the gospel that he wrote a sermon about it. And he was preaching amongst a group of preachers. You know how they have associational meetings. They had them back then. A group of preachers were together and it was his turn to share the, 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 the Bible story or the, the sermon. So he stood up and he preached. And as he preached, he angered the crowd. This room full of preachers became angry and irritated. What it was was God's spirit convicting them, no doubt. But they took out their anger on William Carey. One in particular said to William Carey, young man, sit down. If God wants to convert the heathen, he can do it without your help or mine. William Carey went on later to write an entire, basically a book on the gospel uh, evidence that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, it wasn't but a year later that William Carey set out with a man by the, name, the last name of Dr. Thomas. They went to India expecting God to do great things. But when they got there, they realized it wasn't what they had thought. They didn't have the accommodations they thought. They were far underfunded than they ever imagined. And there was a lot more opposition to what they wanted to do than they could have ever thought. And it wasn't but a few years before William Carey was abandoned by his teammate. And he was left there by himself with his wife and a gaggle of kids. 
One of his sons at five years old died within the first couple of years. His wife became literally insane and her mental illness made it, uh, brought her to the point where she had to be confined to a room for the rest of her life in India. And amidst all of this turmoil and all of this struggle, William Carey continued pressing forth. And here's why. Because he knew the calling that God had placed on his life. He said, even though all of these things are difficult, God has called us here and he has placed us here. And here we shall remain. It was seven or eight years before he saw the first person trust in Jesus and be baptized. Imagine working in the late 1700s for seven years in India before the first believer through your work. That's enough reason to give up, but instead he stayed, and for the next 40 plus years, he faithfully worked the ground that God had sent him to. Not only did he lose a child, but he lost a wife. He lost friends. He lost his comfortable lifestyle and retirement. And all of those things that were lost were really just for, I think at the end of his life, there might have been less than 1,500 believers that could be accounted for in that many years. Seems like a lot until you consider that India today is 1.3 billion people, so back then it had to have been a whole lot, right? But see, the Bible tells us that Jesus said, unless his seed falls to the ground and dies, he cannot produce fruit, right? So what William Carey did is he gave his life, and, in, and through his life he died and planted himself in a nation that God had given him a burden for, and that seed of his life sprouted forth with with believers that lead all the way eventually to our very own saga. Do you know that? Saga is a believer in Jesus ultimately because a man by the name of William Carey brought the gospel to India. That's a long chain of custody with the gospel, isn't it? But, it's not, but wait, there's more. William Carey, when he died, his life was so faithful. And listen, if you asked him, he probably would say, oh, I fail so many ways. I fail so many times. I, I, I struggle with my... He, he was not this perfect icon of faith. He was a human being who wrestled with the same things you and I wrestle with. And yet God and his faithfulness sustained him for all those years. And then we follow the story person to person to person, Hudson Taylor saw the life of William Carey and said, I must go also. But he went to China. And in China, through a long um, um, process of, of, of giving himself to the work, he lost children, he lost wives, he lost money, he lost health. He was able to found the China Inland, Inland Mission. Now, I want you to think about this. China today is a communist country. It became communist back in, back in the mid-1900s or so, right? But do you know that the Christian tradition in China was massively and deeply rooted before communism ever came? 
In fact, believers were pushed out of the country when communists came in because communist is, it, communism is built on an atheistic worldview. Do you see the clash that was going on? But God saw fit in his own sovereignty to plant the gospel in China so that when atheism became the mandated religion of the state, there would be a remnant in the country that would begin to take on the work of carrying the gospel to their own countrymen. And today, China has more believers than perhaps any other country in the world. We don't hear about and see about it, but the church in China is exploding by the thousands upon thousands every single day. And yet the life of Hudson Taylor was brutally difficult and painful. Out of the life of Hudson Taylor, though, comes another one called Amy Carmichael. Amy, through all that I've read, Amy Carmichael, I think, is my current, current hero. This is a single woman who felt called to missions as a young girl. And she was taught by her mother, if you just pray, God will answer your prayers. She says, okay, I believe that. So this, this single young woman was denied by several mission agencies because they didn't send single young women to missions, but she found one that would allow it, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was actually the China Inland Mission directed by, the, by Hudson Taylor's group. So she spent a little bit of time in China, she spent a little bit of time in Japan, but she wound up in India. The thing about her life that I want you to take away is this. She suffered from neuralgia, which is a, 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 a condition that can put you in bed for days and ultimately can put you in bed permanently. The last 20 years of her ministry in India, which is the last 20 years of her life, she conducted ministry entirely from her bed. Oh, but it's really even better than that. When she went to India, she was connected to some missionaries who uh, somehow or another helped her to understand the issue that was really prevalent of the day, which was um, young child prostitution. Girls were taken off the streets and they were put into prostitution in the temples. And so these young girls were abused viciously for their entire life as if they were just, just a thing. Well, one girl escaped from the temple and came to Amy Carmichael and said, can you help me? She said, I couldn't do anything but let her in the home. This young girl came in the home and Amy knew that she could be accused of kidnapping. She knew that her life in India could be over, but she had to do what she had to do with who God had placed her in the moment. Listen, when you get into a hard situation of I'm not sure what to do, what to do is always the right thing to do. That's what to do. Sometimes, it, a lot of times, it's never as easy as, will I do the right thing or do the wrong thing? Usually, it's a difficult choice. If I do this, I'm hurting somebody's feelings. If I do this, I'm hurting somebody's feelings. If I do this, I'm breaking the law. If I do this, I'm breaking the law. Which do I do? You do what Jesus would do. Amen? Do what Jesus would do. I have a whole tangent I want to go on, but I won't. So... Amy Carmichael has this girl and she discovers what's going on in the temples and so she says, I, I've got to do something. Over her lifetime, she rescues thousands of girls and 
helps the boys who are the product of the prostitution. These boys are born and they're just tossed out. She helps them get adopted and she rescues these. If, if I'm not mistaken, even today this ministry is still going on. Her ministry was so important to India that she was the instigator of the country, of the nation, changing the laws on temple prostitution. This one single young woman who God said, go, be my hands and be my feet. Here's what's really cool about her story. She was given the courage to do that because of Hudson Taylor, because of William Carey, because of David Livingstone. She knew these stories and these stories are what kept her going. Those stories are what keep us going and our stories are going to be what keeps the next generations going. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Your story matters. Now you might say, my story's not all that important. It's just, my story's, I mean, gosh, I live in Gulf Breeze. Why, why? No, God, God takes more concern than that. We should never pray for a dramatic story. We should just pray that we would be faithful in our own story. We don't need to try to be somebody else. We just need to be and run the race that God has marked out for us. Some of us, he's going to do things that are spectacular in people's eyes. And some of us, we're going to do things that are very pedestrian in people's eyes. But you are not the one who decides which story you get to, to, to live. That's God's job. It's your job just to decide you're going to live his story. Amen? One other real quick note before I close this on. Amy Carmichael, that's a little girl, used to be very angry because she had, blue eye, uh, she had brown eyes. She was the brown-eyed girl. That's why they wrote that song. She was angry and she was constantly waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror. See, her mom taught her to pray. said, if you'll pray, God will answer your prayers. And so she would go to bed every night praying, Lord, I have brown eyes, but I want blue eyes. Would you give me blue eyes and she'd wake up in the morning look in the mirror and they'd still be brown and she'd be disappointed but over and over and over she'd pray this prayer in fact it got to a point where it was such a struggle for her that when her baby brother was born her baby brother had blue eyes and she didn't like that because he got the blue eyes that should have been for her and so she would it's recorded that she would pinch his cheeks and twist them to make him cry so that his eyes would not just be blue but they would be blue and red right I mean, this woman, this girl really wanted blue eyes. But I want you to fast forward 30 or 40 years. She's in India. She's rescuing these girls from the temple prostitution trade. And she's starting to hear criticism from other believers. It's not as bad as you say it is. You're, you're, just, you're just making it out to be more than, than, it, than it is. The only way that she could demonstrate that it was really a whole hidden subculture was to go into the temples herself and find evidence to prove this really is going on. So she would dress in Indian dress and she would walk into the Hindu temples as a Christian to rescue these girls for the sake of hopefully ending child prostitution in India.
Guess what? The only reason she could go in there is because she looked like an Indian woman. Indian women don't have blue eyes. All of her prayers, Lord's change, Lord, change it, change it, change it. God said, look, I could change it just like that. But if I change it, you can't fulfill the purpose for which I've made you. Some of you are dealing with things in your life that that is what God is going to use to make His name known. Trust Him. Allow Him to do what He said in Jeremiah. I am the potter. You are the clay. Allow Him to mold you and shape you and make you for His glorious divine purpose. God's people said, Amen. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? Father in heaven, as we, uh, as we conclude our time in this room, may we not conclude the humility of our hearts before you. Father, I pray that we would recognize that your hand is at work in our lives. And I pray that we would be faithful to obediently follow your next word. I ask this in Jesus' name. So if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that is your next step. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. There's nothing you can do to earn or deserve God's love, and there's nothing you can do to earn or deserve God's salvation. But Jesus Christ died on a cross nearly 2,000 years ago. He was dead, he was buried, and he rose again. And that resurrection was proof to you and to me that he really is who he says he is. So this morning, if you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do so. This morning, if you're wrestling with something else that that you know what God is speaking to you about, I want to invite you in this next few moments as we sing together to just say yes to God. Just say yes to Him. Let Him do in your life what He desires to do. Will you stand? Thank you for listening. You can find out more about 